a new day in the workroom. And here we are to discuss a new horizon for Drag Race. This is your Sissy Doc Pod special place to come and listen to us gas on about stuff that isn't actively related to ongoing series or episodes yes. of RuPaul's Drag Race. Do you like my, my, uh, I thought it was enjoyable. Uh, yeah, today we're going to be discussing Inside UK's rapidly changing drag culture, a YouTube video that was posted by Netflix. Um, uh, like 40 minute YouTube video, uh, we can get into it, kind of review it, but it's kind of covering some of the UK drag queens and queer spaces. And James has some some stats for us i've, I've I handed do. over the mm-hmm. the stat mantle get ready for class people we are about to learn teach the children <laughs> um no as some of you may be aware recently i have been speaking out more around the experiences of plus size people within the queer community um and that has con- co- coordinated with uh with also doing some or speaking to to an amazing mm-hmm. podcast that's going to be coming out soon uh, around the experience of plus size contestants within the drag race world and indeed the way the drag race world impacts on um on people of size so i'm going to be talking a bit about what i learned when i went into a bit of a deep dive and research about the experience trajectory and storylines of plus size queens who appeared on and across the rupaul franchise i'm excited to get into it but first let's jump into this documentary that's on youtube so like i said if you want to find it just google inside uk's rapidly changing drag culture rolls off the tongue right but i actually think the documentary is called be here be queer but it's not it's not in the title of the youtube video it's in the the description of the youtube video which is a bit confusing um yeah it like follows cheryl hold vivian tace and tia coffee around the uk on a tour with uh queens you like to watch live that's a netflix produced uh show that they did what was your sort of top line reaction to it uh, I thought, okay, I thought that it sort of touched on a lot of very interesting subjects w- without really exploring them in any true depth would yeah. be my overall. <laughs> I would say that's probably fair. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I learned a whole bunch. Like, there was definitely things that we talk about on the show that are kind of tangential to the world of Drag Race or are kind of like created in the wake of Drag Race. Such things like, you know, the the sort of invisible like making invisible non-binary performers or AFAB performers or drag kings that have always been there that aren't being highlighted as much because yeah. of drag race. Um, also like the impact on the pandemic and queer spaces and the importance of them. And I just, I think it, it's quite a high level documentary. So it's like explaining to you why queer spaces are important. And I guess that's something you and I have discussed numerous times before. So it yeah. was like nothing new for us. Yes. I do, like, I do think that probably, like, I think that if, so obviously the the this was made as a companion piece to the queens who like to watch live show which was mm. a companion piece to that queens who like to watch youtube sort of youtube yeah. series which is all kind of promoting new netflix um new netflix shows and this one seems to have been based on just like what you saw in the background it seems to have been filmed over the period of time last year just after the netflix eurovision movie came out because mm. a lot of the scenes that they were watching was was uh, was that which means it was sort of during the peak of the delta variant 
if I'm yeah, correct, in terms of yeah. the COVID world. Like here in Ireland, we were still fully shut down, but they were having sort of outdoor shows um, going on. I think a couple of the things that I picked up on, like I did think that it was very interesting because it's something that's been being highlighted now for years and years and years. And, you know, there's this sort of real juxtaposition between like, particularly like on this, like on the actual act on the like the kind of the fence where we sit with drag race is this sort of sort of weird juxtaposition with it like that there is this like land like this sort of closure of queer spaces is becoming an epidemic they are vanishing from arranges because towns and cities are becoming more expensive places to own and run businesses particularly more niche businesses are being pushed out because there is a move to online in spaces for some of the more for, for more of the queer activities and because i suppose as lgbt people become more part of mainstream society does less of a requirement to have separate spaces meaning that there's less of a kind of a you know the 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 audience is more split but it does really speak in this documentary i found about the importance of those spaces and how necessary they are and need to be protected and mm. particularly when it comes to the smaller more regional kind of spaces as they're the places that people who really have no queer representation are that's the only place that they're able to go and also, my favourite thing about the documentary is Cheddar Gorgeous, who is just so eloquent and just spoke so brilliantly on a number of things. And they were saying that in these small regional places, not only is it because it's good for the diversity, it's like people can take more of a risk there. Like there's less, you know, money on the line. And that's kind of where different things kind of grow and people like cut their teeth more. And that's why that sort of ecosystem is also important. Yeah. And I think that was an interesting point as well, that it was where kind of and it would be interesting to understand how drag race may have may change that because you see now that there is even since the show started there's a whole new kind of subcategory of queen that it competes on drag race who is the social media queen who grew up with drag race who mm. hasn't ever performed and who has like learned their skills and their craft through watching the queens on drag race they maybe aren't that familiar with their local sort of you know queer community or their yeah. local drag bars but they've kind of like got all their makeup skills through you know makeup tutorials and it's an interesting thing to see like you know this is like is this going to be a detriment now to the creativity that exists within the queer community because the goal of being a drag queen has stopped has sort of moved away from being a person who has found your way into a community where you feel free to be yourself and now you're kind of able to express yourself exactly as you feel you would like to to a sort of a oh this is now a desirable career to move towards yeah they there was also sort of numerous things I think the Vivian says at one point which is like now fans expect drag queens to look glamorous and she was like that was never the point like it was never supposed to be about how much you look it was supposed to be about entertainment if you are a 60 year old man in a bin bag and blue light eyeshadow and you're funny that's what's important about it and now there's just such a high threshold from the audience of of, of fashion well, that, I thought that was really interesting because especially um, and I was thinking back to the when we started covering um, UK2 last year and they did the kind of icons runway and was it Ellie Diamond did a Lily Savage, a, a Lily Savage version mm-hmm. and I remember we actually had Davina DeCampo on for that and we were having the conversation with her and I was applauding the fact that it was a very elevated version of Lily Savage and Davina was like no that's not how, how you do Lily Savage you don't elevate Lily Savage Lily Savage is what Lily Savage is mm-hmm. and it was just it kind of struck me there it's like the there's a loss of some of that 
And also, like, there, there is now, like, a, a portion of the queer community who aren't going to be aware of those sort of really significant and important people who existed before. And they would see them now and be like, oh, well, they're not doing a death drop or they're not kind of, mm. you know, like, they're, they're not, like, dressed to the nines or their makeup is terrible. And that means then that what they have to say is somehow less important. Yeah. <clears throat> My favourite, favourite part, and I, I actually rewind back to this too again, is... Uh, a bit that Cheddar Gorgeous says about drag, which is the best thing in their opinion of about drag is that you can take it all off. And that um, when you see them dressed up in this really opulent artistic expression, you know that there's somebody else behind that look and you know that that person's going to go home and take it all off. And it's making you feel the, they believe the purpose is to make you realize that actually it doesn't really matter how we look or we can choose to do whatever we want and it doesn't really matter because we're all basically the same people stripped down blow it off and i thought that was just really really powerful are you saying that drag doesn't hide who you are it actually reveals who you are <laughs> we're all born naked and the rest is drag yeah. uh, but actually no, i kind of thought it was it was kind of a juxtaposition or maybe i'm misinterpreting it of we're all born naked and the rest is drag which i believe the idiom of that expression is we're all drag queens it's like yeah. um Deborah's prada like you think you're excluding yourself from fashion by wearing that from a bargain bin but actually what you're wearing was designed by a group of people in this room from a bunch of stuff. Like it's like every, every everything we wear is, is for a purpose. It's to either assimilate or it's to stand out, and that's why I understand from from uh, Rob or Naked, but the rest is drag. But from this bit from Cheddar Gorgeous, it kind of makes you feel like, well, none of it's important at all, really. Like whether you're trying to assimilate or stand out we're all basically the same. So I think it's kind of a different argument, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I find Chatter Gorgeous extremely kind of also amazing, like speaking, wearing this like EU superwoman kind of <laughs> yeah. outfit. Um, but like, I did, I did think what they were saying had a lot, because they were also talking about um, kind of, the, again, about like that drag is supposed to be something that like is ridiculous and is sort of not taken very seriously mm. and that's kind of the beauty of it is that it sort of it is it's the end it's it's it should be it, it like i think they were saying about how like drag has almost become like what mainstream culture is right now even though mm. actually what drag is supposed to be is always at the very furthest end because it's meant to be reflecting back at culture kind of places where it's failing or places where it's being a bit silly or a bit ridiculous um but yeah and i think that it was it was it was good i think like i think they they paralleled in this like Tia Coffee goes back to their own um their old school. To, to their to their old school. I didn't understand the purpose of that. Oh uh, well I, I thought that it was kind of about showing kind of like different spaces where drag can exist or people finding themselves. I thought it was a comparison to that what was the name of uh, something rec Irma Recta or something like that? Stacy Rect? Stays Erect, that's the one. Um yeah, so I thought it was a good comparison of that. It was like that Tia Coffee had had to go, had gone to college and had found this like kind of way into drag through the performing arts and through finding a community or a sort of a society that allowed her to start expressing herself. Whereas through Drag Race and through kind of like finding a way in through Drag Race, Stacey Wrecked had sort of found that same community but in a different way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't get that till the well I, I didn't get that at all i just like why is he a coffee going back to school i thought this was supposed to be a queer spaces 
but I see I see what you're see the threads you're pulling together there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I love my invisible threads. Yeah. Pull them together all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like I do think overall this documentary lacked structure. Like it really like what you said there I think highlights it really well, which is like this is a tour based on a it's a yeah, it's a documentary behind the scenes of a tour based on a Netflix based on a YouTube series which is a spin off of a reality show. Like that's like four steps removed. It's like made from some intern or some like, you know, low level video designer like here here's all the footage, put together some sort of narrative there, we'll stick it up as some extra yeah. content. And like it was obviously kind of like Oh, go and like there was that whole bit with Tace in the middle of it where Tace yeah. was kind of doing what felt like performance art in like this basement bit of a bar. And like it was very just kind of like, why is like this is <laughs> so unnecessary? This yeah. is unnecessary footage. Like it didn't add or say anything. Like the bits I found most interesting, the bits that, that I was like, oh, I'd love to see that explored more was when they were talking to the guy who owns the the gay bar there was the lesbian who won the gay bar in Nottingham and then the mm. guy who ran the gay bar in Hull and the two mm. of them talking about being the only queer space within those areas and how people would come from and how obviously if you're in London or a big city like Dublin um, you're going to you know you're going to have a lot of options you're going to feel surrounded and protected and embraced by, by, by other people with queer identities but in these other places there's a real concern when those spaces go or close down that you're kind of on your own um, and I was like oh I'd like to kind of I'd like more of, of that. that story yeah that would be the story I'd be more more interested in hearing um, and more about like the, the what was it the polo lounge up in in Glasgow so like I think that they they hit on something that's sort of a rich seam for mining in terms of content mm. as those content creators often do of course do. we've got a pro- uh, producer hat on yeah but I think that they they kind of were just like right well this is going to be a 20 minute teaser thing to try and get more people watching more things yeah you know I think so too yeah. um, <clears throat> I'd give it like two stars ah I'd give it two and a half out of five <laughs> Okay, fair enough. And uh, two of those stars are for which are gorgeous, and they were just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's inside UK's rapidly changing drag culture a documentary on Netflix. It's only about forty minutes, so if yeah. we piqued your interest, it's not a massive commitment. I know you can watch it. It's nice to see Viv and Cheryl and Tia and Tace. Um, it is. Chat. And it Victoria is. Scone gets a good few mentions, and there's other uh, drag kings there: Siggy, Moonlight, and. Brent Wood and stuff so yeah if you, if you just if you enjoy drag it's you know it's not a waste of time but it's not going to blow your mind no don't don't expect your mind blown now should I expect my mind blown with the bit of research you've done I think you absolutely should Relax my get toes. ready to have your mind blown by how terrible society is <laughs> Is this the don't look up of fat phobia of <laughs> Well, no. So I, I did a bit of deep diving into, um, I did a bit of deep diving into uh, sort of the, I suppose, look at the numbers in terms of casting on, on the show. Because I wanted to get an idea. So I'm, I'm going to be speaking to, to another podcast in the next while about the way in which the, the queer community looks at, um, or the way the queer community reacts to, 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 to bigger bodies and the problem with fat phobia yeah. and how that manifests itself and I do think that 
like particularly one of the reasons why I'm interested in it is because it, with our sissy that pod hat on is because drag race has been leading culture to a degree over the last number of years it's been pushing the needle in places so it's created more of a conversation around trans inclusion it's created more of a conversation uh, around sort of like embracing your effeminate side and embracing femininity um, and it's like even it's created conversations around racism in the queer community it's created conversations about the importance of, of kind of safe spaces but one area that has the more I look at it been sort of still reserved to that point of like purely to be mocked not really to be taken seriously is the experience of of, of bigger people within the queer community yeah and when the you say the queer community I think it's probably worth noting that for drag race we're probably talking it's gay men the gay, yeah it's yeah, gay men the gay men <laughs> yeah. like it is it, yeah, yeah I say queer community because that's what I, 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 I always say but I, I am in this instance talking about about gay men um, and yeah and bi men we can't, uh, we can't gay, and bi, bi gay and bi men absolutely <laughs> and the experiences and so I looked into the numbers and so there have been 304 across like all Seasons stats, including all stars, of course, all seasons. Oh, have you have yeah. you counted them twice for all stars now? This is yes, I have okay. three times. So where they so where they have um where they have kind of even where they so multiple counts even where they got went in and got discriminated okay. or eliminated. Yeah. So there have been three hundred and forty one queens in total throughout every iteration of the franchise. Yeah. And there have only been forty three sort of queens who would self-describe or would sort of have been sort of considered within their series plus size. Okay. Or or would have self-described as um as a as a big girl. And the sort of average position of a big girl within the drag race sort of universe is seventh. So sort of middle of the pack is kind mm. of where where you tend to go. And so like that you know, in and of itself is not maybe overly shocking, but it is about 10 to 13% of the contestants have been kind of plus size contestants. Across the world, in or around the world, between 20 and 30% of the population is plus size. So you would expect More. that to be a bigger percentage of the, um, yeah. of the, of the, the, um, a bigger percentage of the pie. Now, I went and I had a look at the sort of overall placements and I just looked at this in terms of the first, the, the 13 seasons of the US version so that I could, um, so that I could kind of like keep streamline it in, it in, in streamline it. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, total queens, there were 170 total queens across the entire franchise for the US main season. 23 of those are plus size. That is 13% overall. Now, within the gay male community, there is a less let there's a lower instance of obesity around 20%. So you would expect to see that to be lower when you get to the top four sort of Queens. who went to the top four. There's around 52 Queens in total, eight plus size, 15% of those who okay. are, so 15% of those are, are 15% of people who make it to the, to the top four are, do you have the, the names of the eight? I do. <clears throat> can I, so, can I try to remember? Okay, hang on. They're gonna resort this here, so I can so I can get my my <laughs> get the uh, Excel the Excel typing type. Ta, 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 ta. Okay, okay, go so for it. As people are play, play along at home, can you name the eight 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 plus size queens, queens who have made it to the top four? Okay, um, <clears throat> Eureka. Yes. Silky. Yeah. Candy. Yeah. Um. Why am I struggling already? Uh, Ginger. Yeah. Um, season five. Who was it? Roxy. Yeah. Um. 
Oh, now I'm struggling. How many how many am I on five? We've got three more. You're to five. Go. We're not counting Akira. Nope. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Uh Sherry? Nope. I ignored Sherry. Sherry was not included in this. <laughs> yeah. That's a very important point. That's, that's fair. Uh, who <laughs> was season twelve, GG, Simone, Crystal. No, okay. Um season thirteen, no, it wasn't any of them. So back to season one. Season two, Tyra. Okay, give me a clue. Give me the season. The most iconic of all of the big girls who's ever been on Dragon. Oh, Latrice Royale. <laughs> yeah. Did she get to the final? I, I thought it was the top three. It was Fifi. Oh, but no, I went top four. So she <coughs> oh, was she sorry. was four. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry. Okay, that's probably where I'm slipping up then. Um, <clears throat> then Darien Lake. Yeah. And... Is this person you, someone who wasn't in the finale but came forth? No, was in the finale. You're, 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 uh, I, I mean, you're missing someone that is quite iconic within the drag race world. Do you want me to tell you? Peppermint? No. Who? Kimchi. Of course. And when we started this conversation, I was like, oh yeah, femme fat and Asian, that came up. Yeah. yeah of course. Okay. Um, but... So what I like when I, I that's all like the kind of stats and stuff that I that I looked into. But what I found kind of interesting is when I went back and like went through the the um the those when I went through those queens who kind of had the, those plus size queens and when I looked at the the way that they had like their trajectories first of all their narratives and their trajectories within the competition so obviously the vast majority of those queens were early outs they were kind of like you know they came in and the narrative surrounding them were almost entirely messy queen not considered competition not glamorous sort of either bullied they had inner saboteurs they weren't able to do comedy they like they all had these very negative kind of um these very negative kind of um allotted kind of storylines throughout the competition but when you get to the top the queens who made it to the top four with the exception of two of them they all had the villain edit. So all of these queens who made it to the top four as a plus size contestant had a villain edit were shown to have an obnoxious personality, sort of a big personality that took over the, the, the room. They were shown to be like not on the same level as their other competitors and not necessarily seen to be deserving of, the, uh, of their position within the top. And it's interesting because when you start to look at the stereotypes in which, the stereotypes which attach themselves to bigger people in general and the sort of moral, the way we sort of moralise around weight and there's kind of the moral obligation people have for help it's often these sort of same labels to start attaching themselves so the Mm. idea that bigger people don't deserve like opportunities because they themselves are kind of like not putting in the work to deserve it that there is something kind of you know lazy about a, a bigger person that there's something obnoxious about a bigger person that the only value a bigger person can bring to a to a to a situation is is if they can do comedy and it's interesting looking back over the course of the big girl say delta work is a is a is a big girl contestant who you sort of never quite found her feet within the competition and looking at that at the time I kind of was like I remember watching it and I was like why isn't she just able to figure out that she just needs to be the funny girl but now looking back you see actually she was being wedged into this role of like oh you're the fat queen so you should be funny even though she was never a funny queen comedy was never her thing but there was this expectation so like she went home with a comedy challenge and the narrative around that whole sending her home was oh this should have been something you're good at because you're a you're a 
you're a big queen. Big queens should be good at comedy. Mm. And so you start to understand there that like what happens is that's written to the way the judges are looking at a contestant is their own personal perceptions about weight and about how they look at fat people. They are seen to be lazier. They seem to be... So mistakes are picked up on more so on bigger queens because there's a feeling that bigger queens in general or bigger people in general are lazy, less motivated, more kind of, you know, slapdash, less kind of together. That comes from the fact that it's harder for them to get costumes. That comes from the fact that there is, you know, lots of other things. But things are picked up on for bigger queens in a way that they wouldn't necessarily be for slimmer queens because of these negative stereotypes that exist. And it's interesting looking back. So if you look at the, the, the eight queens I talked about. Yeah, I was going to ask those eight queens. Can we go through them and discuss like yeah. the, the, the perception? So, so Latrice Royale. She came in and she is one of the two queens. So it's herself and Kim Chi are the two big girls who have gone through the competition and not ended up with, and this is within their original run because I know Latrice yeah, know, but did, didn't fare did, so well in All-Stars 4. Ginger, I, did Ginger, Ginger didn't get a villain edit in season 7. Oh, she did in like very earlier stages of it. And even coming towards the end, there was very much she was set up as a foil to the likes of Pearl and Violet. Like there was a sense of kind of her being kind of obnoxious about the sort of drag being done by Pearl and Violet throughout the season or a sense of like her feeling she deserved it more. And even in the online reaction kind of as the show was coming to a head, there was this sense that Ginger didn't deserve it as much or that Ginger thought she deserved it too much and therefore it should go to one of the other queens, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know so what you it's, mean, but it's funny, I guess when I was watching the first time, I I saw Violet and Pearl as the villains and like Ginger was the one I wanted to win season seven so I didn't perceive it that way so that's interesting that is interesting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah so if you go if you go back to, to, to Latrice now this is another thing I read because actually there's huge links between um, fat phobia and racism and the main links is that a lot of the negative stereotypes that get applied to black people in particular are the same negative stereotypes that get applied to um, to plus size people mm. so it's around laziness it's around distrustfulness it's around kind of you know not wanting to put in the effort not wanting to make like wanting to put in not having a high work ethic sort of being unclean being sneaky being all of these sort of different things uh so they tend to be attached to you tend to see those attached to black queens throughout the competition as well latrice royale moved away by that by stepping into the role of the sort of acceptable black character by being the kind of mother of the group and this isn't something Mm. that that i'm saying myself i've watched some videos on this and they kind of there is this caricature of a kind of a big black woman as being a safe sort of to like kind of sassy mother hen and latrice royale very much fell into that kind of role and then that became the role that she occupied outside of you know you know like that that became the role that she then sort of just occupies within people she doesn't necessarily get to fully be herself because she always needs to be seen as this kind of mother hen and then that's when she goes back to all stars four and to be fair is a little delusional (laughs) people feel it's very difficult for them to move away from that that sense of her roxy andrews obviously went in there as a plus size contestant who you know I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to say that some of these contestants did do things throughout the throughout the seasons that you could question, but also, I'm sure every other contestant. Yeah, but so did the last Candy Talks. 
Exactly. Whereas Roxy goes in there, she is set up in the first of our kind of villain edits with a sort of an ingenue, kind of young, skinny queen doing something different that this sort of plus size queen can't stand. So she is set up against Jinx Monsoon. Season six, same thing happens. Darien Lake set up against Benjamin Creme. Darien Lake, who got to the top four of season six, which is universally considered to be the best season of Drag Race in Drag Race history best season in, in Drag Race history gets entirely written out of that top four Ben de la Creme gets inserted into that into that despite the fact that all of the queens involved acknowledge that Darian Lake is an absolutely fantastic queen that she mm. is an amazing queen she is she is what do you always, mean when you say she's inserted into it Ben well as in people remember Dela before they remember Dela. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Fair people fair. will like if people think like, oh, season four like if you if you were asked off the top of your head who are the top four in All Star in, in season six, it'll be Adore, Courtney, Bianca and Oh, Dela. No, Darian. Like mm-hmm. it, that will be the sort of way people But see, she also got the the sort of like you know, not seen on the same level. So she was not seen as the same level as being and Candy Muse, you saw that a little bit when we get into this the most the last season you get that kind of thing where she's not really seen on the same level as the other queens. You forget that actually she is a terrific and amazing makeup artist. You forget that she has those skills because what gets pushed to the forefront is this obnoxiousness and this sort of, you know, taking and if you go back to season eleven where you have Silky's villain edit against Evie, then you have Eureka versus Aquaria and the Vixen. It's just it is throughout all of it these like negative stereotypes play on for the bigger queens. Obviously, you would need to go back through all the different subdivisions of how people might get perceived in the show to see Mm. whether there's a correlation. But I think it's worth talking about because the show has started making it more of an effort to be inclusive and understand the impact that inclusion has and representation has. And every year there is a queen who'll talk about having had been overweight or having had lost weight and there'll always be a celebration about that you also see queens coming back into the competition for all stars and they get the kind of hero's welcome for having lost weight so Jiggly Caliente coming back into all stars 6 Roxy Andrews coming back into to all stars 2 mm-hmm. there's this sort of like oh my god you've transformed yourself you're beautiful now and it's just that sort of like subtle messaging is going out to plus people plus size people within the community to say unless you lose weight are striving to lose weight or have lose weight your place within the community is less valid and it's going out to non-plus size people to say yes you're correct to think that fat people are a bit suspect that fat people are lazy the fat people don't deserve the same advantages and opportunities that you would get or that other people would get within um within the so that's my research mm. what no, do you have what do you think of uh, it i was i was thought is it pointing well I think it's very well researched and I guess it's not that surprising. Um, it is interesting to to see how many of them got the villain at it. That is definitely interesting. Like I said, I probably, if you'd asked me, I wouldn't have said about Ginger, but I take your point. I probably need to watch season seven again, maybe with, with, with that in mind. But another thing that was kind of playing on my mind after our episode for episode one was about Cornbread and the look that she had and what you were saying about you know, they often have to rejig their proportions to try fit the standard body type. And I just, uh, I think that's, that is true. But I'm just wondering, where where is the middle ground? Like, is it just that my eye is not trained to appreciate a look on a bigger body? Or is it that, like, okay, maybe she didn't need to have the hair, but maybe she should have had a longer dress. Like, why did Lizzo wear something similar that worked well? 
and she didn't is because Lizzo's following those rules of of how to proportionize properly I, and she isn't I'm I'm not I'm not an expert yeah, I don't mind. Um, like I did. No, it is interesting because I like when we were talking about episode one of season fourteen, we were, and we were talking about her. Like that had occurred to me because, like, her proportions were, say, her entrance look when she the cornbread. Yeah. Her entrance look when she walked in, she had the extremely exaggerated hip shape on that leather jacket. It created a sort of a like it created the kind of expected shape. Now, you know, I suppose. With Slimmer Queens, I'm sort of taking a tangent, with Slimmer Queens, back in the earlier days of Drag Race, there was an expectation of like padding and chest pads and that you had to create that traditionally effeminate shape. Obviously, that has moved. we've moved away from that now to where kind of like you don't need to wear a breastplate. You aren't necessarily having to pad. It's about kind of the outfit that you're wearing. Mm. Yet when And so like there's a, allowed to be a movement away from like seeking that hourglass figure. So there, but with bigger queens there seems to be a kind of a need to try and kind of push back into that or try and, and like, even if you think about say Latrice Royale on all stars four was like, you know, she wore a corset once or twice, which she didn't normally do. And there was like celebration. Oh, you look amazing. This is fantastic. This is great. But that was something that was incredibly uncomfortable for her to have to do and something that she had never wanted to do or necessarily needed to do. Mm. You know, and so it is like, I, I think that there's a balance to be made because I think that, I really liked Cornbread's look because I hadn't seen it ever before on Drag Race and seeing it from the point of view of having like earlier that day like watching a video about how bigger queens are sometimes expected to try and sort of camouflage their body to make it look like they're in their traditional kind of hourglass shape whereas skinnier queens aren't yeah I was really aware of that but I think if I hadn't necessarily been aware of that I probably would have been like oh this is an unusual decision like it's kind of it's very much highlighting the 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 body type that is there mm. and i think that like having been a bit more educated and informed looking at it from that point of view i'm actually going to going well that's amazing because it's like purposefully done i'm assuming and it really celebrates who this queen is and like every kind of ounce of who they are um but yes you are right because sometimes it is just like well what actually looks good yeah and out of all those <clears throat> those eight queens you mentioned there at the top I think another thread between them is none of them are considered fashion queens because I, I think Very the way much. we view and definitely I'm part of this as well is like when you view fashion is based on the model figure and it's like it's got Mick it's Aquaria it's Naomi Smalls it's well, Adore Delano like it's those bodies that and, we allow be the fashion queen and we don't allow the fashion queen to be bigger I, I mean, and I think that like it's it's worth saying. I'd say that if you went through the like if you went through the the same way that I went through the, the plus size queens and went looking at queens who were <coughs> older, you would probably find a similar kind of trajectory where yeah. you don't you don't get a, like you don't go particularly far in the competition, and you aren't allowed to have that kind of like something new, amazing kind of ingenue kind of you know, you know kind of like. You don't you don't get to have those moments because you are right. Like with the exception of I, I would say yeah, I'm correct myself. Now in my head, I'm like, well, Kim Chi was the fashion queen as well for season eight. Well, I don't I don't know that she was ever like I think that she was very avant garde and very like I think Kim Chi is an out Kim Chi is an outlier. I think yeah. in a lot of this because and I do remember didn't... loving a lot of Roxy's looks as well. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, but I do think you're you're correct in that sort of like there is that class of fashion queen who is the Gottmik and the Aquaria 
you know, or the Hukasio, what's his face? Cuxiente. Cuxiente, who can walk out onto the runway and like absolutely blow you away. And you don't necessarily get that from plus size queens or from older queens because they tend to be more stuck in a very particular sort of vein. Mm. Something, there's a, there's a, something I wasn't sure to bring up on episode one of this season because I don't like when people say it to me, but I was like, maybe this is a different space. We ha- I don't see much conversation, and I don't know if this is good or bad, about Ross Matthews losing weight. And even Lizzo has lost weight um, based on what she's looking yeah. for. And actually, I read a blind that she was planning to lose weight because she hated the discourse around her body all the time. So um, I never know if blinds are true or not, but based on the size she was on episode one of season 14, it looks like she definitely has lost weight. So I wonder, is that conscious or whatever? Is there purpose behind that? I do think it's good that it's not being talked about or it's not being kind of like highlighted as a positive Mm. because I do think people, there is more, like there is more awareness of the fact that up until this point, there's only ever been one reaction to someone losing weight. Mm -hmm. And this is something I've been guilty of. This is something I've actively sought out at times when I have lost weight in the Mm -hmm. past. Like I have wanted people to say, oh my God, you've lost so much weight. Whereas in fact like you i think it do, it i think that there's now an understanding that actually that doesn't sit necessarily well with someone that that can have negative impacts and like celebrating or showing that sort of the only way to be successful as a bigger person is to lose weight kind of reinforces a feeling of failure for people who either can't or haven't managed to do that mm. and i think that by not kind of like calling it out on the runway as you might have expected RuPaul of a previous iteration to do you know, early days RuPaul, I think, would have been like, oh my God, look at you, Ross, You've, you're mm. wasting Cause away. Because they, they did go, oh, you're engaged, Ru. So I, I was wondering, yeah. you know, were they, were they about to also comment on yeah. the change of appearance? But it, it, it is interesting, though, because, I mean, that's a whole different conversation about kind of like the expectation of plus size people within the, of plus size people in the public eye and how we kind of respond when they lose weight because Mm. there's one half of the internet who's like, oh my God, thank God you finally, like now you fit in, you're able to be part of us. But there's another corner of the internet who are like let down or feel betrayed. Like you only have to look at the reaction to Adele losing weight. And look at all the discourse around Rebel Wilson at the moment as well. You know, her year of health and lockdown is all just, you know, it's just a better body now. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and it is very much kind of based like people who will have looked at her as a role model of kind of like oh that proves that I can get where I want to be now or like oh actually no for sustained success because the same as like was Michelle um oh god Melissa McCarthy kind of lost a lot of weight as well like there mm. is like that does seem to be a way you kind of like you end up going in that way and there's no judgment to those people who make the choice to change their lifestyle and who then do sort of lose weight as a result of that like you know, if that's a, a journey they choose to go on themselves and want to be on, that's amazing. No one owns anyone else's body. But I think that it's a weird, like, it's a weird, plus size representation is a weird thing because it is something that fluctuates. And mm. there is something that is very personal. And it is something that everyone who is plus size will have carried a certain amount of shame for it. So ultimately hardwired into your, your kind of like, into your like circuit board is... I should be trying to lose weight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as friend of the pod, Louise McSherry says, like, you know, in media, you're so starved for plus size representation that when one of them goes, even if, you know, which is they're entitled to change their body as much as they want, it is still sad that they've one less person to represent yeah. you. So. No, it, it is absolutely. And I do think that 
particularly for uh, when it comes to representation of plus size people we're seeing that for for women there is i think there's more representation now i think within the gay male community there is like virtually no mm-hmm. representation of 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 sort of like positive plus size happy content gay men and that is damaging because i think that probably second second only to to the female community which is half the planet um i would say the gay male community is where there is the most sort of focus on image and on the importance of achieving a particular body type and i think that we also live in a world where the, well for within the gay male community there's such a callousness towards mm-hmm. sort of bigger people and I think that there's always a sense of kind of like judging the people behind you to make yourself feel a bit better. So people who are like a little bit, people who are kind of more average body type will be like, oh, well, at least I'm not that person. People who are like a little bit chunkier. So it can get, it can get very, very negative. And I think that it's important that we start seeing, or we need more plus size representation in a way that's very positive so that gay men stop kind of tearing each other apart over it i think it's funny how your thoughts are, are absolutely like a, a symptom of your surroundings because when i was like in school like a, a school i spent a lot of time in with a lot of straight men which was very sports orientated i used to want to be strong but now that i surround myself with a lot of gay male media now i just want to be thin and it's like interesting yeah. how that has changed my perception of what i want my body to be like um like yeah. passively it's like, like it's, it's, it. i I also was like, it, it's kind of within the gay community, the, like, I think that unwittingly or kind of like subconsciously for all of us, the, the sort of power is related by proximity to, to masculinity. Like we, we kind of think there's power is seen to be a masculinity. Sex and like, appeal, I guess. Oh, and yeah. And sex as well. And I think that we like it, sort of the easiest way to be masculine is to be like fit and fit and athletic. And if you can't be that, you need to kind of like, you need to be a bear. So you need a beard and a hairy chest mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So if you are a drag queen, a fat drag queen, then you don't have access to either of those routes yeah. to presenting in a masculine way. So you were automatically, when you're in drag, you're not considered to be as valuable as a skinnier queen when you are out of drag you are not considered to be as valuable as a sort of a slimmer slimmer gay man Mm. um more bearded queens then that'll solve that problem that absolutely that that's it what we need to do is really like buy into the need for masculinity to be the thing we aim for yeah (laughs) all stars beard beard (laughs) special (laughs) get in man of madness we're going to (laughs) lukisha labamba we're going to buy beard oil (laughs) (laughs) Well, this really was a was more of an untouched than a workroom this week. This it was. got personal, but uh, yeah, it certainly thanks did. for doing that research. It was good to hear. And yeah, we will let everyone know when the episode of that podcast that I'm on comes out eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you for listening to Workroom as always. Thank you for supporting us, keeping us afloat. Uh, we'll be back with you next week for some more extra bonus content goodness. We'll chat to you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.